Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. Today we're joined by Dr. Gil Alturovitz, who is the first ever director of the newly created Veterans Affairs National Artificial Intelligence Institute, or the NAII. The NAII represents the forefront of VA's medical and genomics research, where the agency is mobilizing its significant quantities of medical information and in-house expertise to advance American healthcare as a whole. Since its founding in the latter half of 2019, the department has applied artificial intelligence and complex data analytics towards researching conditions ranging from traumatic brain injury to kidney disease, with a core focus on improving care and diagnostics as an outcome. Most recently, the NAII has been a key player in supporting the federal government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and providing caregivers with a deeper understanding as to the nature of the novel coronavirus. Dr. Alturovitz's expertise has been instrumental in guiding the NAII since its founding, especially in using his significant background in genomics to set the department's focus and direct its growing scope of research. Dr. Alturovitz, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm uh, happy to be here. So as kind of an overview question and as some background for our audience, what have been your major research interests in artificial intelligence and genomics broadly over the course of your career? When I first started thinking about artificial intelligence, uh, you know, I was working on a, a PhD and we were thinking about how do you integrate uh, protein, genomic and other information and AI uh, at that point was, uh, you know, doing this approach called Bayesian networks and looking at probabilities and, and how that can you can find relationships between different proteins and so forth to tell you more about human disease. Now, you know, at the VA, we're, you know, really at an era where you have a lot of different information where you can really make a difference in actual care. You know, back then it was, uh, it was research, you know, I wouldn't say it's research for research's sake necessarily, but it was more, you know, research to define new ground that then could then be potentially applied, you know, in some settings. Uh, but now it's really, you know, not only developing those new AI methods, but also leveraging them right as you're developing them and applying them. And you get to see how it really can make a difference. So uh, that's really, I think, uh, one of the things that we've seen. And so right now, a lot of the applications are in clinical type of data. You may have uh, information, you know, and may not come from the medical record. It may come from devices, uh, you know, wearables and other things. It may come from, you know, we have one work, it was involved actually a, a polling data, you know, where you get to learn about uh, health and well, you know, well-being, uh, and, you know, by asking people about things. And it ended up, it, it actually was related to some polling data. So I think there's a lot of different um, ways that uh, you can now really make a difference because the data is there to really help in serving the mission. Yeah, and it sounds like there's been a lot of advances, broadly speaking, over the past five years in, in general artificial intelligence research and its applicability to, to medical care and health science. Which brings me to my next question. The National Artificial Intelligence Institute, if memory serves, uh, was founded in 2019. It's a relatively recent creation. So as a broader interview, what is the NAII's core mission? Right, and it, exactly. It was founded uh, around the time of the veterans uh, and uh, Family Month, uh, which is a, it's a national month of November uh, 2019. And what the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the VA really focuses on is on developing those AI capabilities, you know, using and leveraging research and, and development to help support the veterans, their families, survivors, 
and caregivers. Um, and so it does that by a couple of different ways. It looks at what are there, are there potential new partnerships? Are there new um, things that we can pilot? Are there new practices or, or uh, processes that can be changed in the system? Are there new policies that we could influence around AI? And all these come together to really build uh, that work around artificial intelligence, working across different offices and, and interacting with the different medical centers uh, across the country to make sure that we can serve all of those uh, that are involved. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of the increasing digitization across VA and a lot of the advances in kind of like genomics and health informatics has really played into that as well. Which kind of brings me to my next question, which is what were some of the foundational or earliest uh, research projects that you helped oversee at the NAII? Right. So there, there have been a number of uh, exciting projects that have been going on. So let me tell you about uh, a few of them just to start. So we've, uh, you know, recently, for example, with COVID, uh, you know, there was a COVID-19 120-day uh, mortality morbidity model that was developed. And uh, that's been uh, some interesting work that actually then led to other work. Um, so what we, we found, for example, in, in COVID-19 is that, you know, essentially there were no models, right, because it was just something totally new. And so research and development is really critical for developing that. And then how do you kind of get that into practice quickly, right? Because you need it to move quickly, right? And so looking at new processes, new ways that things like that could be piloted to get quick clinician feedback. That led us to another project, which is kind of the continuing project of this now also, which is the AI to go framework. So the idea that you could look at different types of diseases and have the work of different researchers who are building different types of models, get uh, quick feedback uh, and iterate with clinicians and others as they're doing their research so that, um, you know, obviously it's great if it turns into a research paper, but that it also can lead to a, a practical and make a practical difference. So that's another area we've also been working on a number of different uh, partnerships and collaborations uh, using information, as I mentioned, that's basically outside of the medical record information. We've, you know, we have the largest integrated healthcare system in the country, so there is a lot of clinical uh, medical record information, but we wanted to see how do you supplant, how do you get, you know, supplement and add additional information to make our conclusions and our ability to use AI more effective. So that involves things like uh, wearables, as I mentioned, things like surveys and other types of data that you can kind of integrate together with that. And so that's been another area. And then we've been looking at uh, how do you integrate with different uh, disease areas? So there are a number of disease areas where we're, uh, we've established a veteran engagement board, where we get feedback from veterans about what are particular areas that are of interest to them, whether it be, and then we will work with those different types of uh, experts, you know, in the VA to make sure that uh, there's AI that can can help in those areas, whether it be, um, you know, oncology, whether it be mental health, whether it be you know, traumatic brain injuries, all those areas have uh, programs going on where potentially AI can help contribute um, in some ways. And so we're working to form those bridges as well. Yeah, it sounds like the range of applicability is pretty considerable, especially with just the sheer breadth of conditions you're treating. You mentioned uh, being involved with both looking into mental health and obviously physical health treatment. If you don't mind me backtracking a little bit, something I'm curious about, uh, especially in a bit more depth, is when the COVID-19 pandemic broke out, 
you're obviously dealing with a, a novel coronavirus for which there is very little, if not no extant research or understanding. How did the outbreak of the pandemic reshape uh, the NAII's priorities kind of as it was happening? Right, right. In, in, in fact, right, it, it did in that first, for the short term, there were kind of immediate needs and, and desires to focus kind of in that area to try to make a difference as soon as possible. And so that's one. And then just the notion that in doing so, we were always thinking about how can we make sure that we capture these lessons so that we can do things in the future um, in a way that capture those lessons, right? So things, you know, we learned about new processes, how to do things quicker, work together more efficiently, remotely, those kinds of things we can now use as we look toward, you know, other conditions that, uh, you know, beyond uh, COVID-19 as well. So I think, you know, in the short term, it reshaped priorities by, you know, we were approached by a number of parts of the organization, you know, around COVID-19 models. We saw that there were a number of different models. We worked toward uh, making them AI-able able and, and able to use AI. Uh, we then, that led us, as I said, to the AI2Go platform or framework rather, the AI2Go framework where we can look across uh, different uh, diseases. And, and so it really helped to shape kind of some of our, our long-term thinking as well. But some of the things that we did where you have researchers getting input from clinicians and having that iterative feedback is something that we could do you know, beyond COVID-19. So it's, it shaped the long-term priorities as well. Absolutely. And it sounds like in terms of, if you don't mind asking, just to explain a bit further, what in its essence is the AI to go framework? Because it sounds like that's going to be a jumping off point for a lot of promising research in the future. Right, right. Great uh, question. So I think the essence of it is to think about kind of, you know, what happened in COVID-19. So at the beginning, you know, essentially no one knows anything, right? So a lot of researchers are trying to create different models. And each of them are, you know, creating different types of predictions. So for example, Will this patient uh, survive after 30 days if they have a COVID-positive test? Uh, what about after 90 days? Some of them use the clinical information. Some of them use you know, imaging information. And so different researchers have different models, and some of them have will then you know, want to publish that work. And, you know, and then it, the question is then how does it get used, right? And so what we realized is that it would be useful to get some of that clinician feedback as they're developing uh, the models and to uh, test it out with clinicians. So essentially, they are seeing kind of like a little dashboard that gives them different predictions. So that way, they can actually get feedback from clinicians as if it were being utilized, right? And that way, the researchers can uh, develop uh, their models and uh, improve them. So, for example, you know, some one researcher, you know, they were creating mortality models and and they thought it would be used to decide, you know, on different treatments or different therapeutics for the uh, patient. But after getting some physician uh, feedback of looking and uh, all the information presented, they actually end up finding that it's more useful for other things like palliative care coordination, right? And so then when you know that, you know, the researcher can optimize and develop it differently given what are the needs at the time and also what are the type of data that they have access to and what, you know, they their models can do. And so, this allows for different researchers who may be developing either different predictors for the same disease or condition, or, or they could be developing the same model, but for different conditions. 
to have a way to present it to get input, basically, in a way that looks to the clinician like they're in a real setting so that they can give uh, more accurate kinds of uh, inputs. And uh, it allows that model be basically to get that feedback. Yeah, it sounds like it's fostering a lot of really productive communication and collaboration between researchers and practitioners, like really bridging that gap. And it sounds like the ultimate payoff has been, you know, the end goal of improving patient outcomes, obviously, both in terms of the rapid adjustments you had to make for COVID, but also in terms of really guiding better care for well-known or sort of already uh, treated conditions. You know, when it sounds like the application is there for things ranging from, correct me if I'm off, from things like, you know, kidney disease to even traumatic brain injury. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, applications for it. And I would say it's in some sense a complement to uh, some of the work on the AI tech sprint, which, you know, that one is about taking uh, different models, you know, that are applied to data and then comparing them on different um, quantitative and uh, mostly quantitative, but also qualitative metrics, right? So accuracy uh, performance metrics and other performance metrics that you can compare different solutions. Here, it's uh, looking at some of those other aspects that, you know, the clinician, it may also be how the information is presented. Is the model able to explain why it came up with that kind of a rationale for why it is predicting something? Because a physician may be more likely to adopt the conclusion or the recommendation if it understands why the model came up with that prediction. And so all of those kind of come into this AI to go framework, thinking that, you know, you can take the AI that was developed uh, for research and, and have it go kind of almost like in a to-go container. It's kind of like encapsulated in a way that's more presentable rather than, you know, if you're going to get food, you know, if, you, if someone just threw a bunch of food at you, what would you do, right? Like, but you're kind of encapsulating to kind of a standardized container that then, you know, people are used to t taking that standard container and taking them at home and, you know, and, and then looking at it. And yeah, so that's kind of the, the thinking there. Whereas in the AI tech sprint, it's more about actual direct metrics, you know, performance uh, metrics and other things that researchers themselves often compare in, in, in papers and, and are very important, uh, but they, uh, they don't have some of the aspects that maybe a clinician can give that may not be uh, raw numbers that are measurable and like that. Yeah, it sounds like the ultimate goal is to have AI that is actionable, you know, practically useful. And it sounds like these models, of course, are dynamic things, that they are things that can be potentially refined. And if you have a broader scope of data that can be used to make the model, you know, even more accurate or sophisticated by the sound of it. Right, right. Exactly. I, you, you saw that with COVID and other conditions where they, things can change over time, right? What leads to one surge may not be the same population in the next one. There may be uh, different uh, things that you learn over time about uh, the condition as well, because at the beginning, you don't have enough power to uh, enough patients, essentially, to learn uh, what the reasoning is, uh, you know, for particular decisions. And after a while, you may have that information, so you can present it. So you learn over time. It's definitely something that is a, a capability that can enable a learning uh, healthcare system. Absolutely. And it sounds like it can also be adapted to an evolving public health environment as well, because from, from my kind of limited understanding, coronaviruses are prone to a certain degree of more rapid mutation than many conditions and then many diseases. And it sounds like these models can be quickly adapted to work with those as well. So models, uh, the nice thing about AI models is that they can, you know, d depending which technology you use, they can sometimes very rapidly uh, learn from new information. So you don't have to train the whole model again. You just add 
that new information for it to train in some of the some of the approaches like the Bayesian approaches uh, and some other approaches you have to retrain the whole model right and so depending on the what you want to do and how often you want to train it you know those are some of the things that go into the decisions of what kind of computing you need what kind of uh, models you want to build which uh, kind of data you want to use and how often you want to update it Absolutely. And again, it sounds like that foundation has already been established. And even during, you know, what one could say is a bit of a trial by fire period for the entirety of the American healthcare system. But it sounds like, again, there is that really kind of that really standard and strong foundation you've developed with these models and your approach, which kind of brings me to, to my next question, which is now that you have this foundation, now that the NAII has been, you know, running at least for some time, what do you see as your, your big research priorities going forward? Right. Good question. So, you know, when we think about what is the work going forward, we look at kind of the, some of the successes we've had, we've had in, you know, in, in pioneering some of the new uh, pilots and, and, and partnerships and processes and policies and, and are looking, how can we develop things further, right? So, you know, you may have seen recently um, AI, the, the website AI.gov was launched. Uh, uh, it, was, it was announced and uh, the, uh, the VA and the NI are one of the key partners listed in that that effort. And so one of the, uh, you know, one of the items that we'd been working on was, you know, thinking about how do you build that AI capacity within the VA and, you know, potentially, you know, how it's similar and different to what other agencies are doing. So what can we learn by working together? So there are programs, for example, uh, that we, we have uh, at the VA, such as the big data scientist uh, training and enhancement program, right? So that is a program, the BD-STEP program that enables new researchers to develop their career and work within the VA and uh, to do that. And then afterwards, some of them stay at the VA. One of them, in fact, is now continues is a member of the, you know, the National AI Institute over at the VA. So thinking about um, how do we build capabilities like that is one area. And that kind of all falls also under kind of ideas around workforce uh, development, right? And, you know, there may be people who you know, who have degrees in areas, you know, uh, that will be uh, useful here related to AI. And there are a lot of people that may have knowledge and skills that they develop without a particular degree, but would be really great to, uh, to work in these areas as well. And so we're working on different areas related to workforce certification, where you can understand what kind of knowledge uh, they've gained. And so then you can bridge gaps if there are people who uh, need to do that, you know, through training, or you can find people who, even though they may not have a degree in AI, although there aren't really too many degrees officially in AI, right? But if they have a degree even in a non-technical area, maybe through their own work, uh, they, they've been able to do a lot of work on AI. We have a number of other, such people in our institute who've, who've worked and have uh, been able to, with training, uh, develop them. So we're looking to see how we can collaborate with other offices and other groups uh, to promote that as well. And then finally, building all of that research capacity that is already there at the VA. So the researchers across you know, the hundreds of uh, medical centers that are actively you know, working on different research projects, we're working to build that AI community. There's actually this uh, AI VA community uh, and a newsletter that we have that's actually open to people outside the VA as well. And in there we feature different efforts that are going on in terms of different research areas. And then what we do is we get input from uh, the Veteran Engagement Board, from others across different offices, and, and find 
priority areas that then we can uh, further enhance and, and promote as core areas. And so those are some of the things that uh, we've been working on that I think have a lot of capability to really bring uh, people together. There's a lot of team members that are really making a, a big effort here and, uh, and we're starting to see some of those results. Yeah, it sounds like you've really transformed into a knowledge hub of sorts and a place for bringing together all of these really forward-looking and research-intensive parts of both VHA and, and VA as a whole. That all sounds just incredibly promising. Though I'm afraid our time is about wrapping up, Dr. Alturovitz. But is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we conclude? Well, I, you know, I think you know, when, when you think about uh, artificial intelligence, I think we're really just at the beginning uh, in some sense. Um, you, you know, when when people, you know, first saw, you know, the airplane of the Wrights brothers, you know, it, it flew for like just all over 10 seconds. Uh, you know, people don't, didn't imagine that, you know, that would lead to, you know, eventually, you know, uh, even supersonic flight and, and so forth, right? So um, it's almost hard to imagine all the capabilities. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of science fiction out there and a lot of hype as well. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, I think we have to kind of straddle both of those and, and really make sure that we evaluate what are the good use cases. And so what we've been working on is creating a list of use cases that are really of particular importance um, to the VA around AI and ones that we've been uh, then looking to evaluate uh, as a way to see which ones are important ones to uh, focus on and learning from what others are doing as well. So in, in summary, I think it's a really great time to be in this area. And uh, you, know, you have to just be uh, careful of the hype, but at the same time, sometimes there's options and, and capabilities and things that you may not realize until you actually get in there. So you know, people didn't imagine that uh, you know, uh, an airplane for 10 seconds you know, could lead to you know, transcontinental flights. Uh, but at the same time, you can, you know, it was a different technology. It was jet engines that really led to that, right? So um, you know, there's a lot that's coming ahead. So I'm really excited. Absolutely. It sounds like a really transformative time to be working in AI. So uh, thank you again so much for coming out of the program. And thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris and Adam Patterson. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.